Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Whatever you feed grows. Really quick question for those of you online or here in person. Have you ever been stung by a bee? All right. Was it painful? I remember playing hide-and-seek as a young boy, about eight years old, and we were in my grandmother's garden. And in my grandmother's garden, there was like everything that you could think of. To me, it was my own live-at-home jungle. And we were playing in and out of the different things like the corn shoots and the raspberry bushes and whatever. And my grandpa had a small fishing boat, and he just so happened to use part of the garden as the storage area for that boat. And I knew if I hid under that boat, it was the best place that I could be. So that's what I did. But shortly, I found out that I wasn't alone. And I heard a buzzing, and I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I needed to stay hidden if I wanted to win the game. And soon enough, I had a double team zip zip right into my chin and I didn't know what was happening this burning sensation I was scared I was nervous I was frustrated and finally I couldn't take the pain anymore I shouted out I cried I ran to my grandma and she said you've been stung by a bee from that moment on I'd play in the garden but there was no way I was going to that area where I had been stung before I was now afraid I was afraid of bees. Now, fear is a wonderful, unique thing. Fear causes us to do things and not do things intentionally or unintentionally. You can develop a fear of bees to the point where you don't want to go outside anymore because if something with wings is flying around, you might get stung. Now, the truth is, in every moment of our lives, whether it's something positive or negative, it's a moment, it's an opportunity where either our faith or our fear is being fed. And the challenge for us is when we're trying to feed our faith, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ or who are exploring a relationship with Jesus Christ, what happens when you step out in faith and you still get stung? where things don't go the way you intended or thought they would or dreamed about, what then? What do we do in that moment? It's kind of like trying to feed bees. This morning, we're going to take a deeper dive into the life of Elisha. We're actually going to fast forward a little bit in his life, and then we're going to press rewind in subsequent weeks and go back a little bit. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to be reading seven verses, and our goal this morning is to uncover what do we do when we've been stung before, but we need to keep moving. 1 Kings chapter 4. Verse 1 reads like this. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and now you know, he, and you know that he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing, her, bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. 
Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Real interesting story in the middle of Scripture that I want to spend a few moments dissecting and digesting with you. You've got a woman, a mother, and two sons, and tragedy strikes their family. The patriarch is no longer with them. He is dead. He is gone. And they face a challenge. These creditors want what they're owed and what they're due. So what is happening? Let's back up just a little bit and kind of set the table and set the scene for this particular moment. There's a couple of things that are really important to be aware of. The first is this. There's a resurgence in the growing of the prophet community. What that means is more people were responding to the voice and the invitation of God to set aside their lives and pursue him and be an example to the people around, to represent who he was to the community. There was a point in time previous to this conversation where there were very few of these people left in the Israelite community. Most of them had been killed because of what they believed and what they represented. But at this point in time, there's a resurgence. So more and more people are responding to the invitation and the call of Jesus in their lives, being set aside to serve him wherever and however he sees fit. This woman happened to be a part of the family of one of these people who responded. And I can't help but think about what that conversation might, but might have been like in the moment as a younger married couple with a young family and coming home one day and, and the guy says to the girl, you know, God's told me something. I need to give up everything that we have been used to and accustomed to and, and go into basically full-time ministry. I need to be a part of what he wants to do in me and through me and around me. Are you okay with that? That's called a step. In that moment, maybe she was filled with some fear, some apprehension. Hey, you make actually a good living wage doing what you are doing. Why do you want to give that up and go into ministry where you're not going to get paid? See, another interesting thing to keep in mind if this whole scenario is prophets, the only way they had sustainability in their vocation is due to the generosity of people. The community would give to the Lord, would give to these prophets whatever it is that they were in need of. Bread, wine, meat, vegetables. Whatever they needed, it came from the generosity of people. Thousands of years before we existed, God created this economy and he said, you know what, I'm going to use my generosity through people to bless the world and to bless those that I want to help steer and guide my family forward. Now here in 2020, not much has actually changed. Those of us who have the opportunity to serve in vocational ministry like myself, we exist and the only reason we exist is because of your generosity. If you stop giving, if you stop responding to what God says to you on an individual level, my family has nothing. The rest of the staff here, we have nothing. Anybody who's in ministry, we have nothing. 
That's the way God intended it because he wanted to us to know and be aware of as a community that it's only because of the generosity of our heavenly father that you and I have the opportunity to live. This morning, he made the sun come up because he is a generous God. Isn't that amazing? It's because of his generosity that you and I live and breathe and move. That's what he intended. That's what he designed life for. So they step out in faith as a young family, and then tragedy strikes. The prophet is dead. The husband is dead. The father is dead. And because they didn't own anything as a young family, they probably would have done what you and I would do. When you want something, you borrow it. They didn't have anything equity to put up, and so they actually put up their very lives. Hey, if something happens to me and I can't repay this debt, you can take me or you can take my sons or you can take my wife as payment for that. Human trafficking is a problem that we deal with here in 2020, but it's a problem that we were dealing with for a very long time before then as well. This is a form of it. What happens is you get this side economy where, where somebody puts an extraordinary amount of debt load on a family that they cannot pay on their own and then when the bill comes due they take everything including their very lives to repay that debt and this is what they're facing in that moment I don't know about you but I'm certain that I would have been filled with fear when I hear that knock on the door and I know who it is and they're coming to collect It's like when you get those random phone calls on your cell phone or your home phone from the CRA or somebody from, you know, Canadian prison services and you've got a warrant out for your arrest, you know, that kind of stuff. But really more real and intentional than a spam caller. Their very lives are at stake. What's interesting to me is when I read through this story, I'm mesmerized by the response of this this young mom. Why do I call her a young mom? Well, she feels a sense of weight and responsibility to provide for her her two sons. If they were old enough, she'd boot them out of the house, they would get jobs and start earning an income, and their family would be okay. So they are not at that point. They don't know what else to do. And so she does one thing that you and I sometimes forget to do in the moment. She turns to God first. In her panic, in her fear, in her confusion, in her frustration, in her worry, she turns to God first. What did that look like? Well, remember that prophets were God's representatives to the community. So she goes and she finds a prophet and she asks the prophet, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do now? We are all in as a family. We've took that step of faith, that leap of faith. We're in ministry. Now my husband is dead. Their father is dead. We are in trouble. What do we do now? And she goes to God first. When you and I are hit with crisis in the moment, it stings. And when we've been stung, do we go to God first? Or do we go to somewhere else for an answer?
Google is a wonderful thing, but Google doesn't know everything. This woman goes to Elisha, and she receives instructions from the Lord through Elisha, and says, Elisha says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Since you've got a little bit of olive oil in your house, I want you to go and ask everybody to borrow stuff from them, jars. Ask for them, and then bring them into your house. So step one in her faith formation journey at this point, even though this wasn't a first step for her on a personal level, was going first and asking God and then responding obediently to what God instructed. And that meant going to friends and family and everybody around her and telling them what had happened. Can you imagine being in that space, knocking on doors, begging for jars, and people ask you, well, why do you need this? Big gaping wound, you've just lost your significant other, they are no longer here on earth, and you have to retell that story to person after person after person. And inevitably, the next question in that conversation they're going to have for you is like, oh, well, what are you going to do now? I don't know, but I'm collecting jars. She's living her journey fully revealed in front of everybody in the community. Her pain is there for everyone to see, to notice, to point at, to ask questions about. It is raw. It is real. It is in the moment. And yet she keeps going. She keeps going and she asks for help. She goes to God first, asks for help. Then she goes to other people because God asks her to and asks them for help. Gentlemen, have you ever been in a car with your significant other and you're driving somewhere and you know or you think you know where you're going and then you take a wrong turn and you might get lost and your significant other or your family member is in the vehicle and they know that you've taken a wrong turn and they start encouraging you, hey, do you need to stop and ask for directions? And you, you, you know, take on that bravado a little bit and go, no, I know exactly but you have no clue where you are and you keep trying to make another turn and another turn and the 10 minute drive turns into 53 minutes and you still haven't stopped to ask for directions because you know where you're going and you've got this and Google said so I'm following what the map told me to do but the rerouting or recalculating keeps going. See sometimes to walk in faith means not just checking in at the beginning but in every step along the way. In every step along the way. It's not just receiving that first set of instructions and say, sweet, good, I got this. I'll take it from here. This woman asks for all these jars. She gets all these jars. She brings them into her household, has her two sons with her, shuts the door, and starts pouring oil. And one jar fills, and another jar fills and another jar fills, and another jar fills. Can you imagine being one of those two boys in that moment? You probably have a high level of curiosity. You probably have an idea of what's going on. Like, you don't know this to be true, but you're pretty sure that that small amount of oil in this flask isn't supposed to last forever. And your mom keeps pouring and you keep feeding her jars, and they keep filling. 
Are you getting excited? Are you getting nervous? Are you fascinating? Whoa, what else? What else is going to happen? Jar after jar gets set aside, and you're participating in what God has told your mom to do, and you're seeing a miracle unfold before your eyes, and maybe you can't even digest it, but it's happening right now in the moment. Your mom calls out, bring me another jar, and there are no jars left because they're all full. And you give her that instructions. And at that moment, the oil stops flowing. Can you imagine having your whole house filled with jars of oil and you're trying to tiptoe around? Don't spill them. It's a miracle incubating right in your home. Did they do high fives? Did they shout? Did they celebrate? This is the end. Woohoo! And even in that season of plenty, they still go back to God to check in to see what they need to do now. The woman goes back to Elisha and she says, So now what? All the jars are full. What do we do now? Sell the oil, pay off your debts, live on the rest. Do you check in with God every single step along the journey? Or just when it's most convenient for you to do so? Just when you're at your most desperate? I find it interesting to me that this woman at her most desperate moment calls out to God but then checks in with him along the way. She's in a season of plenty. She knows what she could do. She's a smart lady. She knows what she could do. She could sell this, make a profit, and be okay. But she still checks in with God. See, the difference between feeding our faith and feeding our fear is letting God direct and dictate every step of our journey rather than relying on our own skills, intellect, ideas, or creativity to get us moving forward. In fact, I will suggest to you that to feed our faith means to generate some forward momentum in your life and to feed your fear means to experience some paralysis in your life. Imagine if this woman stopped at any part of her journey. At any part of her journey. Go collect jars. She's like, that's too much for me to handle. I'm too wounded right now. I can't retell the story to everybody about what just happened to my husband. I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. I can't get it done. She wouldn't have experienced a miracle. Can you imagine if she would have stopped at that moment where everything is filled in her, in her house, and she's like, well, now I have everything I need. Instead of one flask of oil, I have an abundant number of jars filled with oil. I don't need anything else. I'm going to be okay. We're going to hunker down. We're going to stay in our house. We're going to be just friends with all the oil jars and hang out. Then she takes all of those jars. She's got to go sell them. Can you imagine? Maybe she's knocking door to door again, going like, hey, you remember that jar that you lent me? Well, now it's filled with oil, and I would love for you to pay me for the jar that you've 
lent me before that's now filled with oil. There's so much to do, but all of it was about forward momentum. See, I can't help but think as we dive into this idea that we want to live a life that's worth living, it's got to be a life that's steeped in faith and not fear. Whatever we feed grows. Our faith or our fear, it grows. And I get it. I understand. There are times where it's okay to be afraid. Like if you are, happen to be in, in the ocean and there's a big great white shark that is swimming beside you, be afraid because you might be on the menu for lunch. I get that. But are we going to choose to live by faith or are we going to choose to live by fear? A fear leads to paralysis. Faith leads to movement and momentum. In your life right now, are you experiencing faith or are you experiencing fear? Do you know the difference? Can you feel the difference? Whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. My hope and prayer is that you would learn to feed faith more consistently. Well, Jason, how do I do that? Do you check in with God first? Do you check in with him often? And do you respond obediently to what he asks of you? Even if it seems crazy, like gathering a whole bunch of empty jars, not knowing what's going to happen. Sometimes I think the challenge is here in our North American society and mindset and culture is we want to know everything before we do something. God doesn't work like that. God gives you a glimpse of what is about to happen, but he does not give you the entire roadmap. Why? Because he knows if he does, you and I are going to think that we can do this on our own. We won't stop to ask for directions. We'll take things into our own hands and make a mess of it moving forward. Whatever you feed grows. Are you feeding your faith or are you feeding your fear? In a few moments, we're going to go into a time of prayer together. And I want you to think about this question. And I want you to ask if you have the courage, the Lord, this question. Jesus, is there any moment in me that isn't leading to faith or movement? Is there any moment in me that isn't leading to faith or movement? Another way of saying that is, am I too afraid to follow you? Whatever that means, wherever that means, am I too afraid to follow you? And I get it. Maybe you've been stung. Maybe you took a chance and a risk. Maybe you 
find yourself in a similar emotional place to this woman where you stepped out in faith. You're like, God called us to this. God asked me to do this, and I'm going to respond. And it did not turn out the way that you were hoping. It hurts. Are you going to let that fear, that pain, that hurts overwhelm you? Or are you going to let it grow you by feeding your faith? 